Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business podcast from the Business in Vancouver newspaper and from BIV.com. I'm Haley Wooden. Today on the show, our tech panel tackles Facebook, its new features, as well as its CEO's comments that government should step up and better regulate the internet. We'll also look at Lyft's IPO. The conventional banking business has undergone rapid technological change in the last decade. On April 25th, the BIV's Business Excellence Series is back with a panel discussion on the next big things in banking and finance. Our discussion will explore the future of the banking and finance industries, policy challenges, the impacts on incumbents, as well as the opportunities for startups. For tickets and information, you can visit BIV.com slash BES dash banking dash finance. The second wave of cannabis legalization is coming. On May 22nd, our Cannabis 2.0 event will examine the size of the opportunities in this expanded market, be it in edibles, infused beverages, topicals, or vapes. For more information on that event, you can visit BIV.com slash events. Here's our show. It's time now for our weekly tech panel. On the line from Toronto is Ali Pordad, CEO of Progressa. And in studio with me here in Vancouver, Linda Focus, founder and CEO of Glue Technology Society. Thank you both for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Let's talk about Lyft. They, of course, went public on Friday. Here we are on Tuesday. and We've already seen quite a jump above the IPO price, and we've also seen quite a fall below it. Ali, I'll start with you. What's your assessment of what we've seen and how we've seen the markets react? Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised by the initial reaction. I think if you look at the track record of other tech companies with uh, gigantic valuations in the last several years that have IPO'd, it's sort of three. It's maybe gone up a little bit on the first day, but then dipped quickly uh, below as investors start to pull money off the table that uh, are all significantly up on their investment. So, in the case of Lyft, you know, I think it IPO'd at roughly 24, 24 billion, and today I think it's trading closer to 19 billion. That probably just reasonably reflects uh, people taking money off the table that made a lot of money off the transaction. And you know, um, when these IPOs happen, they're typically there's a lot of uh, interests that are driving the price up, and uh, those interests are not necessarily aligned with the average retail investor. So, what you're seeing right now is just a a realignment of that, and if uh, the company can execute uh, long term and uh, be a sustainable uh, competitor to Uber, then uh, and become profitable, of course, then uh, it will learn, it will hopefully grow into its valuation over time. Linda, there was so much excitement about this IPO, just as there's a lot of excitement about Uber going public in the weeks ahead. Is there still going to be some hype around Lyft, or are we now fairly quickly transitioning to focusing more on things like financials and a path to profitability? Well, I think uh, all eyes are going to be on what Uber does and see where that place is Lyft in the pool. Um, we are going to be, we're going to need to see a story from Lyft about the long-term view of their company, where they're going to take this. They're, I expect they're going to spend the $2 billion they pulled out of the market, uh, not to come to profitability, but to spend more to get ahead of the competition. So I think the story from them is critical. It's, it's just a, it's a crazy time with Uber now hitting the market with so many more services. Can Lyft tell us? why we are going to stick with them for the long term, because these are long term, long term plays for most investors, I believe. That's an interesting point. And Ali, Lyft 
Lyft's co-founder, John Zimmer, he was on a podcast with CNN saying, we're not competing with Uber. We're not seeing this as us beating them to market. You know, this is our IPO and we have our own path. But are the stakes higher now that we have insight into the financials of both companies? They both have overlapping services in some regards. Are the stakes higher are the stakes higher now that they're public or will be public? No, the stakes are definitely higher. I mean now now they they they're uh no longer responsible uh for, for them just themselves in their own pockets. I mean I think uh you know if you if you choose to go public uh, that's what you that's what you bring to yourself now I think in the case of Lyft and Uber you know you know when you think about the overall sort of market trend uh into ride hailing and uh and these two companies are obviously at the forefront of it worldwide uh, I think that obviously there's a lot of upside here and a lot of room for these companies to grow there's a lot of markets uh, even Vancouver uh, they don't have ride hailing yet, and um, so there's 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 going to be sort of natural organic uh, growth. There's also obviously additional services that are both focused on uh, Uber. Obviously, the ones that are more obvious with Uber Eats. Um, but there's there's lots of opportunities for these uh, for these companies to continue to build their subscriber bases and then start to monetize those subscriber bases in different ways. And we're not even we haven't even uh, reached the cusp of that yet. And I think that's where the the real upside opportunity is on both these companies. I, I think there, there probably are, there's probably good value right now in, in, in both of them, even though they're not making money. If you go back and look at the, the Facebooks of the world, the Amazons of the world, they were not making money for a very long time um, before uh, they were, they sort of hit their stride with monetization. And uh, we're still, we're still quite early days for these companies. There's, there's a lot of room to grow. And um, I suspect, uh, you know, I suspect uh, they'll be successful. When we think of a company like Amazon, I think investors, they bought into the vision, even if they weren't profitable. They believed where Jeff Bezos was taking the company. You could probably say the same for Tesla as well, and people buying into Elon Musk more than, say, the financials of the company. Linda, is it clear what Lyft's vision is? Is there something clear that investors can really rally around if we don't see profits? I don't think it's clear. I think that there's more of a story to Uber because their their fingers are in more pies. I think Lyft uh, is doing something really simple. Right now, they're subsidizing ride, share, ride sharing and ride hailing. That's not going to work. When prices start moving up and that subsidy is gone, are we as consumers going to use their service as much? Mm. I think this segment, this uh, transportation as a service, is going to move into one dominant player. I don't think there's going to be room for a big Lyft and a big Uber. Um, they're both too expensive to be bought out based on the numbers they're at right now. And I think perhaps Uber is going to overtake it. I just don't see Lyft as ride-hailing, ride-sharing dominating the um, transportation as a service industry. They just don't have enough. They're basically a reservation system for people to connect drivers to cars and consumers. And I'm not sure that's enough to take them into the long run of a dominant player in that one point, what is it, $1.7 trillion proposed yeah. market for transportation yeah. as a service is massive. And I just don't see them being a massive player there. Mm. They're definitely they're definitely going to have to figure out a, a way to monetize these consumers differently uh, and generate revenue and uh, generate re generate revenue in addition to the, the way they currently make it, which is obviously not generating the profit for them. So uh, that's that's got to be the long term play here for Lyft and Uber is that they're going to have to figure out uh, ways to actually make profit. Yeah, and it's and, not going to uh, be through scooters and bikes, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
ride hailing 2.0, whatever that looks like. We're going to have a lot to talk about, I'm sure, on this segment in the weeks and months ahead, especially as Uber looks to go public. Let's talk now about Facebook. Facebook had a very busy weekend. There are a lot of new announcements from the company. The first one I want to hone in on is CEO Mark Zuckerberg saying he wants governments to regulate the internet. He wants them to step up and protect privacy and protect us from harmful content. What do you make of this, Linda, from a company that has come under fire for years now over things like fake news and abuses of privacy? Mr. Zuckerberg's trying to pass the buck. He's created this monster that needs cleaning up, and he's asking someone else to be the bad guy or the parent and come in and clean up the mess. This is his mess to clean up. Uh, the government has ways of controlling uh, speech, of uh, freedom of speech, et cetera. They've got their systems in place for quite some time. Zuckerberg's got to figure out that he's creating a platform that are in, uh, enticing people into these behaviors that aren't appropriate. And they need to sort out how they're going to control their users. It's not the government's place to come into a private organization and tell them how to do this other than uh, within the bounds of the, the rules of law today. So I think it was a real... Um, an attempt for him to get attempt for him to get ahead of the curve. Regulations coming. Uh, he's going to be the first person to start the conversation. He thinks, but I found it rather shocking and a bit immature. Here's the four ways we think you need to focus. Here's what we're doing, uh, and everybody else should do what we're doing. And now, please help us. It's like no, you need to step up and be uh, a little bit braver and more of a leader than that in this space. Mm. Allie, what are your thoughts on this announcement? Because uh, to Linda's point, it does kind of sound like Facebook's trying to pass the buck. Yeah, no, I don't I don't think that's where it was coming from. I, I, I do think that his intent is, obviously, he wants to be at the forefront of, uh, of uh, regulatory change. I think, I mean, this is not going to be the first industry that uh, has to, has, that has regulation that's playing major, major catch up to business. Uh, obviously, this has happened in many, many other industries, including uh, ride hailing mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and and others as well. Uh, it just happened in the financial services industry when fintech sort of became a thing about a decade ago in the U.S. Uh, there was no fintech regulation, uh, you know, across the board. Um, states had all sorts of different uh, regulations and so on and so forth, and consumers ultimately, um, you know, were, were impacted negatively. So. This is not. This is definitely not new. And and typically, what you do see is, uh, especially with CEOs that are coming under fire, are that they're going to uh, at least uh, outwardly uh, portray uh, that they want to work with regulators and that they want to be at the forefront of it. And so I, I see it less as him trying to pass the buck and just more uh, as him trying to position himself as uh, as the company that's going to help. Uh, work with regulators. And uh, it probably is his true intent at this point. I mean, he, he has to have given up by now. Like, there's no way he's going to get away with this anymore. There's just too much, uh, there's too many eyes and ears on what Facebook is doing and him personally. He's been called to testify in front of the, the House, the Senate. I mean, it's just, you know, at this point, you got to sort of throw in the towel and, uh, and say, okay, <laughs> I'll be, I'll be a part of, I'll be a part of the regulatory change and stuff. And then definitely don't fight it. Well, they're going to have to clean up the platform, though, I think. And, and, and in doing so, they're going to have some of their users happy with the changes that Facebook has to implement themselves and some of the users unhappy. And I see him as making this 
this rather weak attempt to get ahead of that and say, you know what, when when these changes come down, it's not going to be us that you're going to yell at. It's not going to be us you'll be upset about. So you guys can all be happy on our platform together. Let's all look to the regulator, to the to the bad guy in the room who said this is the way, this is what is allowed and this what this is what isn't allowed. And that's why I, I do take a little bit of uh, umbrage to his attempt at controlling that conversation when when in fact he's going to have to take that heat himself he's going to have to take those comments from users and determine what his platform is going to look like moving forward i'm curious because it sounds as though zuckerberg's asking for some clarity here is it an impossible ask to put it to governments to say look tell us what should be allowed what shouldn't be allowed when we're talking about freedom of expression, freedom of speech against hate crimes and hate speech and things like that. This happens in the offline world just as much as it happens online. Ali, is this a little bit impossible for even governments to solve? I think it's, I think it's going to be very, very hard. And and that for the reason you just mentioned, Haley, I think that, you know, you see, you see governments trying to interject themselves in these conversations and, the question is, where do they draw the line? Like, when, 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 when are we uh, entrenching on free speech? When are we uh, stifling competition? When are we stifling privacy, or, or vice versa? I mean, the EU is is being uh, is being quite uh, aggressive in its stance, um, and you know, you, one could argue on one side that uh, it's in the best interest of consumers. On the other side, uh, you can make probably several arguments uh, that uh, there's unintended consequences. Uh, so this is a very, very delicate balancing act for regulators and for government. I, you know, I, in, a, in an ideal sort of situation, in a utopia, I think you do, you can rely on the on these for-profit conversa- uh, uh, corporations to, um, you know, ra- you know, create an association and uh, and and sort of rally together and sort of pool resources uh, to do what's right, but. Uh, you're also also in a in a political environment that doesn't encourage that. So there's a lot of um, forces that are working in all directions right now, and uh, so you can easily see why this is happening, and the governments have sort of have to feel like they have to step in at this point. And it would be great if they did rally together these big tech companies to decide on what privacy is going to look like, what our our data portability is going to sure look would. like. Those are areas where yeah. I think the government shouldn't play its first role there. I think they should be the big companies. They know best of, of what the data yeah. is they've collected and what they're doing with it. I can, I can tell you in, in the financial technology space in the U.S. Uh, 10, 15 years ago, it was the, the large incumbents that got together and, and really drove a lot of the regulatory change. And so it's, it would not be uncommon. And, 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 you know, it's not uncommon in other industries. It's just, you need, it, you know, part, one part of the problem here is that a lot of these um, these tech companies see themselves as competition to one another, but there's there's real large and systemic issues that impact all of us and impact themselves, and they really should be working together uh, on solving those problems. And once they realize uh, they need to they need to be talking um, and hop on a phone call or go meet them and meet one another in person, they'll realize that they're a far more powerful uh, and useful voice together when they have put their minds together and solve real problems. Uh, they could get ahead of a lot of these things. Just a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about Apple's privacy ad and how that was maybe a bit of a dig at Google and Facebook. Linda, what's the likelihood that we actually see Twitter, Facebook, Google, other tech players who have a lot of sway in the space actually on the same side when it comes to something as complex as regulation? 
I don't see how they can be. These are companies that are in the business of mining data. That's what they do. They, they monetize it. They gather it. They collect it. They monetize it. They, they use it. That is the business model of Google. It's the business model of Facebook uh, and largely the business model of Twitter. So how do they then say, we're basically saying you can't collect the data. And if you do, it's mine to take me as the consumer. I can take it and do with it what I want. Uh, and that's not the case. Like that is not going to happen. So I, I think that this is a very difficult thing. We can't trust them to do the best for the data collection piece because they won't. That's the business model they rely on. And we need government to step in to make sure that what we're saying about the data that's collected uh, gives the control, keeps the control with uh, the consumer. And that's the government's role is to protect us in that scenario. So it's a very, that'll be a very interesting boardroom to be a fly on the wall of. I'm, I'm not sure how this all falls down. Smarter people than me will figure it out. But it is a incredibly challenging time when most of the world is not connected yet. We're talking about maybe 20% of the world connected through sensors and data connecting point. Yeah. And, and we are soon going to be at 100% of the world or 90. What the heck does that look like? So these are critical uh, questions for humanity. That's not an overstatement, I don't think. And we need government to play a strong, decisive role to control the big tech companies in their journey towards figuring this out and making us confident, safe, and happy to participate in this online free-for-all. And it sounds like it would be challenging enough just to get governments all on the same page when it comes to how yeah. exactly to regulate. Sounds these like companies. that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be very tough. Very tough. I, 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 I actually see the the sort of the risk of the downside being a rallying rallying call for these corporations to get together and figure this out themselves. I, I actually think that. The risk, the systemic risk to all of these businesses, to all of us when, on how these platforms work and how our data is handled, the, the, all these conversations are leading towards real uh, downside risk for these corporations. So unless they, they see that risk and get in a room and, and start talking this through, they're all going to be negatively impacted. I think it's more reasonable that you see these corporate, you see all of these companies start to, you know, put, a, you start to collaborate and start to move towards solving these problems, then you'll see government stepping in. I just don't think the governments have enough information and or are well positioned enough to create the, the rules. They just don't even know what they don't know yet. Mm. We had a couple of interesting examples from the government side. One European parliament has passed new regulations that make platforms responsible for copyright infringement. So a lot of legal uncertainty around that. And Singapore is also close to passing legislation that would give government the ability to essentially issue takedown orders for false content. And Linda, I wonder if you have something like that. There are laws that a company like Facebook now needs to meet. How does a company respond? Do you decide, you know what, we're maybe going to back out of this market? Do you staff up and say, okay, we'll figure this out? Because it's so specific to one market that's arguably really not their biggest or most important. I think that it's a great test bed for Facebook to figure out, for instance, uh, how to how they're going to work in Singapore. How is this going to work? What does their platform look like? Uh, Singapore's idea of falsehoods being controlled. We're still going to let the falsehood exist, but we're going to show the uh, the link or the pointer to the correct information. Who determines what the correct information is is a scary thought, but. Um, um, this could be an opportunity for Facebook and other platforms to say, all right, if this is roughly where we're going, how are we going to play in this space? Because what Singapore is saying is not that different to what other people are calling for in other jurisdictions when we talk about 
uh, fake news and privacy, et cetera. So I don't think it's going to be as easy as, say, no Facebook in Singapore. It's going to have to be a lot of work. Yeah. I do like that Zuckerberg or Facebook did the statement saying uh, we don't really like the regulations. They're a little too onerous. <laughs> and his, his op-ed was kind of saying the opposite. So you can't have it both ways right. so far. Right. Well, Zuckerberg also, he pointed to what's going on in the EU and a lot of changes there that are forcing these companies because it's a significant market to adapt. And his suggestion was that he'd like to see those regulations around the world. So to your point, Linda and Ali, I'll put this to you. Could that be another example of where, okay, we're having to come up with processes. We're having to filter content in new ways in the EU. We may as well roll it out around the world if it's effective. It's definitely a reason for both companies and for regulators to be speaking to one another because the last thing companies need, the last thing consumers need is different rules in different places. It just it creates so much uncertainty and so much inconsistency. It makes things more difficult for the companies to keep up with, and that just creates more uh, chaos for for the consumer. Uh, you know, so and 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 it's very very hard to um, you know determine what those unintended to even force, have any foresight into what the unintended consequences of these actions are or these rule changes when you're putting them in place and you're not thinking of other markets and other uh, sort of use cases uh, for the rule. So uh, I can see where Zuckerberg's coming from. It creates, you know, it's much, much easier for him to see uh, the company and, uh, you know, have one group of people dealing with one set of regulations for the entire world than uh, to have 150 different departments for 150 different countries. Well, we have all these privacy, all these uh, uh, regulations being rolled out against different states. Each state might be different. We don't have federal legislation in the U.S. We've got something in the EU. This is just a mess. The lawyers are going to make a lot yeah. of money on it, but I don't know how us as users or these companies are going to navigate. Very, very challenging. It's an interesting environment Agreed. for sure. Now, continuing on Facebook, we're a day after April Fool's. There was a lot of fake news floating around, but of course, generally in a good spirit, the spirit of the day. But Facebook is looking at rolling out a news tab that would essentially elevate journalistic content, a bit of a shift away from focusing on news that comes from family and friends. It also had some other ideas on an oversight committee around content. Linda, Putting this alongside this call for greater government regulation, where do you think Facebook's heading with some of these updates? Uh, with the news, the new uh, discussion around news, uh, they need to figure out how to incentivize the real news organizations to participate in this tab on their platform. Mm -hmm. How are they going to do that? They've been using the, that content from those media organizations for free historically, saying you should be grateful for the people we're pushing your way. And now they're getting pushed back and perhaps deciding that maybe some sort of subscription model or, or um, somehow compensating these news organizations for their content that they're putting up on the platform to make this news feed section, not sorry, not news feed, but the news tab, uh, a trusted and, and smart place to look for news. But I did like in Zuckerberg's comment as well, he said only 20%, 10 or 20% of our users are going to care about this. Everybody else is there to see the photos of your, your right. grandchildren and the dog and the other silly news that we're following on all the other sites we're, we're tracking on Facebook. So I'm not too sure how serious Facebook is about this. Mm -hmm. If that's their take on the the size of their audience, but it's it's important that we can see valid news. I believe news organizations need to be compensated for their contribution to Facebook. If Facebook is going to be a place we go for real news, who's paying for that? 
That's a good question. Allie, we've seen Facebook sort of flirt with this idea where they'll have incentives for journalists and publishers to use the platform and have grants and meet with them. And then maybe they pull back and go in a different direction. Now they're back with this news tab idea. Do you think it lasts? What are your thoughts? Yeah, where I I struggle with this is, you know, they're focusing in on, you know, trusted sources of information. And, uh, you know, what, what is, what is a trusted source of information today? That's, that's the struggle, right? Is that you have so many sources of information that are seen as trusted and, um, and ultimately, uh, you know, if that's the driver of this, well, I can tell you, uh, almost half of Americans trust everything coming out of Fox News and, and, and everything coming out of Donald Trump's mouth. So how, how are they going to determine what, what, what the sort of trusted news content is? How are these algorithms? going to work and present information to uh, to the consumer. I don't know that uh, consumers are actually going to be any better off here. I just see this as more of the same at this point. Mm-hmm. And again, puts the tech company in the position of making those decisions, which it sounds like from Zuckerberg's op-ed, he doesn't want to be in a position to make when it comes to certain things. I don't blame him. No, me either. It's a tough, challenging world. It's a complex issue. But Linda, Ali, as always, really appreciate both of you joining the show with your insights. Thanks for having me. Thank you. That's Linda Focus, founder and CEO of Glue Technology Society, and on the line in Toronto, Ali Pordad, CEO at Progressa. That's it for the show. Thanks for listening to BIV Today. You can get notified of new episodes by subscribing to us on iTunes and Stitcher. You can also listen to past episodes at BIV.com slash audio and find more business news at BIV.com. I'm Haley Wooden. Thanks again for listening. 